This morning, uh, brothers and sisters, we are looking at Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 to 29. Galatians is, of course, one of Paul's letters that he writes uh, to, in this case, the church in Galatia. Um, And uh, it is, yeah, (laughs) I love Paul's writings, although, as I've mentioned before, uh, my high school English teacher did not enjoy Paul's writings in the sense that uh, she found Paul to be full of run-on sentences, and this offended her English sensibilities. Now, of course, Paul wasn't writing in English. He was writing in Greek, uh, which, interestingly enough, did you know? Oh, this is fun. All right, so imagine this. Okay, now, when you write something in English, uh, and I know a lot of us don't write anything anymore, but often when you write something in English, uh, I would hope it would include spaces between the words, right? Yeah, good. It also includes things like punctuation, commas and colons and periods and exclamation marks and all that stuff. It also includes upper and lowercase letters. Not so with Paul's Greek. Paul's Greek is all uppercase letters and no punctuation and no spaces between the letters. It's just like one big block of capital letters going on and on and on until the end. (laughs) Good, right? Yeah, he's just, he's constantly screaming. People are becoming of this faith! (laughs) Just uh, always. So difficult to understand. understand. Yeah. Especially for us, right? For for them, of course, they were used to it. They didn't know any other way, right? This uh, in in Paul's time, they wouldn't have batted an eyelash at it. They wouldn't have thought he was screaming at them. They wouldn't have been like, "Why does he squish it all?" To-? It, it was totally normal for them. But for us, in translation work, it can be very difficult because you can imagine, even in English, sometimes if you run it all together, you you could split it up here, and it's two different words than if you split it up here. And then you've got different words and different meaning, right? Um, And and so it can be complicated. But obviously, the idea of a run-on sentence didn't make a whole lot of sense if you didn't really grammatically divide your, your whole thing up into sentences through the use of periods and so on. So, Anyways, that's just a little excuse for for Paul and his run-on sentences. That being said, it does sometimes, the difference between Greek and English sometimes makes it difficult for us to totally follow along with Paul. The way that he structures his letters is different than the way that we might structure a letter to a friend or even a letter to somebody that we're mentoring. Uh, It is different also than how we might structure an essay and certainly different than how we would structure a story. That being said, we we do... (laughs) Because we can't always take like a whole letter at a time, although that is like the best way to study a a letter of Paul's is to read the whole thing at once. So if you're doing your Bible studies, then in general, if you're able to read the whole letter of Galatians at once, that's great. 
But in general, when we are doing this for sermons or often when we're doing this for our own study, we break up these passages, the, the letters of Paul, into single units. And a single unit is, is called, to use the fancy word, a pericope, which is just a, a small unit, <laughs> as clever as that is, right? And so today we're looking at this little pericope, which is a little section in which Paul talks about what happened under the law before and what happens after Christ, right? So here's, here's what we have. Before the coming of this faith, that this faith, that is faith in Jesus Christ, salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, before the coming of this faith, faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The word of the Lord. Amen. Now there are a couple things as always that we need to pull out there. Make sure that we understand before we get into the real meat of what Paul is trying to tell us. First of all, heading from last uh, to the beginning, uh, when it says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Basically what that means is you are Abraham's children, right? You are, um, you are adopted into the family of God, the covenant family of Abraham. And we, we, we become part of the faith, the faith that has, you know, was established uh, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when, when the Israelites came out of Egypt and, and they talked about the faith of uh, Abraham, and Isaac, or Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that, you know, that, was, uh, that was their faith in God, Yahweh. And we are part of that lineage. It's interesting because when I, when I attended other churches, like beyond the Christian Reformed churches, on occasion when I was a kid... It was strange because I often felt, and I talked to some of my, my friends who were Christians as well, I often felt that they didn't feel like they were part of a long history that went back to Abraham, or, or an even longer history that went back to uh, Noah, or even a longer history that went back to Adam and Eve. They, they kind of felt like they were, they were New Testament Christians. And the other stuff was the Old Testament, and that was kind of separate, right? It was important or whatever, but it wasn't part of our lineage. 
right? We, we sort of identified with whatever our European or Canadian or, or other geographic roots were, but we didn't necessarily identify as part of the nation of Israel in, in some of these other traditions. But for me, um, and this is not to toot the CRC's horn because we have a lot of our own problems, but for, for me, I was always part of the family of Israel, as far as I could remember. This is, this is our faith community. And, and this, at least, even if, yeah, the CRC, like any denomination, struggles with its own things, this, at least, is, is good. This is golden. Right? Because we are part of that lineage, right? So, and this is what Paul is saying. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. God promised that it, to Abraham that he would make him a great nation and that salvation would come through his descendants to all people. And that's what we are. We are the fruit of that. We are the, the, the ones who have been saved according to that promise. Right? Um, and, and this is important too. This, this harkens back to what Paul says in verse 28, just before this. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Right? This is the abolishing of what really was arbitrary and artificial divisions between people. Not really that people lose their maleness or females, femaleness, not really that people lose the reality that they, their ancestors came from you know, northern Europe way back in the day or whatever. Those things don't disappear. It's, they're not abolished. But in Christ, those things stop mattering. And, and this is really interesting and often a struggle for people who look at some other of Paul's writings and say, well, that doesn't make sense, Paul, because you, you treat people differently based on their role or their gender or whatever in other parts of the New Testament. For example, you say that women should be, wives should be submissive to their husbands just as Christ um, just as Christ is the head of the church, so husbands are uh, the head of the household. Well, doesn't that make a distinction between male and female? Or, or you, you tell women that they should have their heads covered in the church or that they should keep silent in the church. Or, or you, you tell people, you tell slaves that they need to obey their masters as they would obey the Lord. So, so really, Paul, what are you, what are you saying? Is there no distinction or is there a distinction? Well, the key difference here comes in love. The key difference comes in love. Right? So, for example, when Paul talks about everything being done in decent and good order and, and talks about women not, not speaking in the church in Corinthians, right? he is speaking to women in that congregation who have recognized part of the truth of what Paul is saying here. That in Christ, they have freedom. 
right? They are no longer constricted by the restraints that society or religion or whatever imposes upon them. They are now children of God, just like the men are children of God, just like the masters are children of God, just like the slaves are children of God, just like the Romans and the Greeks and the Jews are all children of God, and there is really no difference. And they got that. They understood that. But what they forgot or what they laid aside was the reality that not everybody around them fully grasped that. And further, that just because that was true doesn't mean or didn't mean that they should flaunt that and thumb their noses at other people's and say, in, in, in essence, nah, nah, I don't care how uncomfortable this makes you. I'm free in Jesus to do what I want. Right? And that's what Paul was getting at. He was saying, okay, okay, okay. Yes, yes, you are free in Jesus Christ. You are, there is no difference in Jesus Christ, between male and female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile, yes, absolutely. And that freedom comes within the context of love, which means that you, it, it's not okay to just glibly and rudely go about exercising your freedom in the face of the people that you are supposed to love. You need to journey together. This is the same thing that Paul is dealing with essentially when Paul speaks to people about <clears throat> how some people will eat food offered to idols and other people will not. And, and Paul says to them, it's okay. You, you don't, there's nothing inherently bad about food offered to idols. It's just stuff. And idols are dead stuff anyway. So who cares, really? But... But be kind and loving to your brothers and sisters. And so if there's someone among you who really struggles with the idea of eating meat offered to idols, then don't thumb your nose in their face and say, I'm stronger than you. You have bad faith. <laughs> right? Love them. Walk with them. Journey together. It's the same thing that he says about Sabbath. In that same area where he's talking about food offered to idols, he talks about Sabbath celebration. He says one person will honor one day unto the Lord and one person will honor all days the same. As long as they do it to the Lord, it's good, basically. He says just love each other. And as long as you are doing what you are doing in good conscience with God, it's okay. But don't divide yourselves, he says in that same passage, over debatable matters. Right? That's a whole other thing we could talk about for a while, but we won't. Right? So this is, this is what Paul is getting at when he says there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. He is talking about that freedom in Christ that, uh, that dissolves those barriers that stood between classes of people and, and countries of people and societal areas and poor and free and uh, all those things break down. 
But of course, that is done within the context of love, which is what we go back to when we start at the beginning, right? Before in chapter or in verse 23, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith was that was to come would be revealed. All right. How many of you know the song slash story of Joe who works in a button factory? <laughs> All right, yes, a few people, excellent. Okay, so this is good. I, I'm gonna, I might need some help. You don't have to get up and help, but just <laughs> you might need to prompt me. Okay, so it basically starts off with, hello, my name is Joe, and I work in a button factory. Um, and then what does it say? Oh, yes, I, I have a wife, a job, and a, a wife, a dog, and a family. And, yeah, a wife, and a dog, and a family. And then, um, one day, you see, I told you I needed help. One day, my boss came up to me and said, hey, Joe, are you busy? And I said, no. And... Push the button with your right hand. Push the button, right? And then it goes on like that, right? You go you, verse 2, right? And then you get your left hand, right? So then Joe's pushing buttons with both fingers, right? And then you got to do your, your left leg and then your right leg or the other way around. And then you're like doing it with your knee and your elbow and whatever. And eventually, Joe is pushing buttons with all of his body parts and you fall on the floor laughing. Now, how on earth is this like life under the law? <laughs> this is like life under the law in that the law as it was, was a list of commands, a list of buttons we had to push. And there were so many buttons that we had to push that we collapsed on the floor in failure, right? But we were captive to this. We were captive to pushing the buttons of the law. You need to, this is what Paul is saying, under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Right? The law is like the factory and our boss saying, hey, you've got to push the buttons. You've got to push the button of not worshiping other gods. And you've got to push the button of, of not uh, coveting your neighbor's things. And you've got to push the button of not murdering people. And you've got to push the button of not uh, lying or stealing. And you've got to push the button, 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 button. Right? You've got to push all the buttons. And if you push all the buttons, then you can be a successful factory worker and provide for your family and your, your dog and, and so on. Right? But that's not good enough. Who wants to work in a button factory for the rest of your life pushing buttons? I mean, it may be fun for a song, but for a life, it's less, it's worse than meaningless. It's going through the motions literally. And that is not good enough. 
That is precisely how we end up with these structures that divide people from people. We develop rules that say if you're a woman, you can only do these things. If you're a man, you can only do these things. If you're a Jew, you can only do these things. If you're a Roman, you can do only these things. If you are a slave, you can do only these things. If you're a master, you can do only these things. And, and ugh, it's terrible, Right? But that's not, that's not where God ultimately wanted us to be. God wanted to be in a place where there was freedom. So that we could be free at last. But, but there's a key. We need to understand what freedom looks like. Because Joe in the button factory, he may not have had a good life, but there were hints in all of the buttons that he pushed of what his life was really meant to be. Right? See, Joe was pushing the button of not worshiping other gods, which was a hint, a hint that he was called and meant designed to and would be most free if he loved the Lord his God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. Right? Right? That's, that's the button he's pushing of not worshiping other gods points to the reality that we were meant to worship God alone and love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so too, the button that he was pushing about not murdering was, was a hint that we, are, we were meant to love our neighbor as ourselves, that we were meant to love our enemies even. That we were called to not just not murder them, but also to speak in their favor, to care for them, to love them, even if they were our enemies. To, to walk alongside them, to, to care for them, regardless of, of what their status was or, or anything like that. Radically loving our neighbor. So Joe pushes the button, not murder. But really, he was meant to live in the freedom of loving his neighbor. And, and all of the law and commandments, Jesus says, all of the law and the prophets can be summarized in those two commandments, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And that's the freedom. So, now this is weird though. Because what happens then is that our freedom actually places greater expectations on us than our slavery, our enslavement in the button factory ever did. We have more expectations. However, we are empowered and we realize through Jesus' sacrifice, through His example, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the witness of Scripture, that actually heading in the direction of meeting those expectations is not restriction, but instead it is freedom. Remember, this is what we talked about, about what it means to be human. 
Joe, pushing his buttons in the factory, will never ever be free. He doesn't understand what he's doing. He, he might catch little glimpses or hints of what is, what is out there, but he is going through the motions and he will always be a slave and he will never succeed in pushing all the buttons as well as he needs to do. And so he will be condemned. He is locked up. We, however... We also, we cannot revert back to simply pushing buttons, but we can see what God meant by and what God intends for us in the commands. So we keep the commands and more. And in keeping in the commands and more, we find freedom. Not because we follow rules, but because we follow the heart of of love found in our Savior Jesus. This is hard because we, we have a constant tendency to create rules. A constant tendency to create rules. Right? We see this, we see this in our church. No, no blame to anyone in our church because our, our elders, our building committee, our, all our committees and stuff, they are doing their utmost to honor God with this community and with this, uh, with this facility that we have and so on and so forth. But let's say somebody breaks the, the bar of the door that's supposed to help it open or close properly, right? <laughs> like what has happened right now, right? The temptation is, not that anybody has said this to me, but the temptation is to create some kind of rule to prevent that ever happening again or some kind of rule to punish those who ever do it again so that they will never do it again after that, right? That's the temptation. We want to make a rule so this never happens again. And that's our temptation for ourselves too, this is why the Pharisees existed, right? Because they saw the law of God and they, to give them credit, uh, I believe, honestly honored the law of God. And they said, well, wait a second. Clearly, that Alex guy over there who has is, who is walked from here to Brockville on a Sabbath, you know, we talked with him and he was clearly not honoring God with his Sabbath rest. He was thumbing his nose at God and the idea of Sabbath. And so we're going to make a rule. You can't walk to Brockville on the Sabbath. Don't do that anymore, Alex. Problem is, of course, that doesn't get at Alex's heart. Sure, maybe if you put enough fear into Alex, Alex doesn't walk to Brockville anymore on the Sabbath, which would be a long walk. But anyways... <laughs> He doesn't do that anymore, but he's not not doing it because he wants to be free and celebrating the Sabbath, which was created for man and not uh, man for the Sabbath. He does it because he's afraid of the rules. Right? Instead, Jesus seems to say, why don't you talk to Alex and say, why are you doing it then? <laughs> like, it's not really good for you. I mean, health-wise, physically-wise, it, it might not be bad for you. I don't know. If you die of dehydration, that'd be bad. But, you know, it, it's not really honoring, it seems, the concept 
of resting in God on that day. And we can talk about it. And maybe, maybe for Alex, walking is the most restful thing on the planet. And so I talk and I, I hear that from him and I go, wow, okay. So Alex is honoring God on the Sabbath. He's doing something that would not be restful for me, but it's restful for him. Okay. But no rule necessary. But it takes a lot more work. I have to go to Alex and I have to talk to Alex and I have to listen to Alex. <sighs> and then if... And then if Eric does the same thing, then I have to go to Eric and listen to Eric and talk to Eric. Why can't I just have a rule? So much easier. So, we obey the commands plus. We obey the heart of the command. We obey the heart of the command that says, look, 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 look. Honor the Lord your God by keeping the Sabbath. Yes! What is the heart of that command? That we should rest and do no work. Yeah, good, excellent. What is the heart of that? That we need to rest in God because He is our provision. He is our Lord. He is the one who set a pattern for us in working six days and resting on the seventh day. And what is the heart of that? The heart of that is that it is a gift to us. God didn't need to rest on the Sabbath. He didn't have to stop his work because he was actually tired. No, no, no. He wants to give us a gift. A gift that at the same time reminds us and gives us the rest that we need and reminds us that we are totally and completely and absolutely dependent on God for everything. And we can't deceive ourselves into thinking that we somehow provide for ourselves in our foolishness and pride. And so, okay, you're a firefighter or you're a paramedic or you're a shift worker or whatever and you can't, you just can't rest on the Sabbath all the time. So you spread it out. You do, you know, you do maybe a, a Monday here because that's when you're off for your shift and you do a, a Sunday the next week and a, and a Tuesday the next week. Okay, well, you're still honoring God, aren't you? Are you? Are you? Search your heart. But this is hard work. This is hard work not only for the person who's trying to figure out how to honor God in their own life, but it's also hard work for us. Because really, properly speaking, I ought to be coming to you and you ought to be coming to me and saying, hey, like I noticed that your Sabbath keeping is not the same as mine. Can we talk about that? I want to hear about your Sabbath keeping. Oh, well, I'm not really keeping Sabbath. I just get so busy. Oh, really? Can we talk about that? Because, you know, everybody's busy. Maybe there's a way for you to keep Sabbath that doesn't look like everybody else's. Or maybe it really could look like everybody else's, but we need to walk alongside each other to figure that out. So this, brothers and sisters... This, brothers and sisters, is the heart of what Paul is talking about here. Right? In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. 
For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. That's what you're doing when you're walking out the heart of this commandment, this commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that is why there is no longer, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one because we are all walking in that same way of freedom beyond the button factory. So brothers and sisters, let's not, let's not lower our expectations by walking out of the button factory and doing nothing with our lives. But let's not stay in the button factory either. And let's not go back into the button factory once we've gotten out of it. Instead, let's live in the freedom of having clothed ourselves with Christ. Let us keep the law and so much more because we are free to finally be human as God intended us to be. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we thank You so very much that we are no longer under the guardian of the law, but rather that we are free to be human beyond any arbitrary divisions like male or female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free. Lord, thank You. And thank You so much that You teach us more and more what that freedom looks like. That it, that it doesn't look like doing whatever You want, but instead, O oh God, it looks like living a life of love beyond the buttons of the factory of the law and into the heart of being Your image bearers. Lord, we confess that sometimes it seems like it would be so much easier to head back to slavery in the button factory that just like the people of Israel who longed to go back to Egypt when they were in the wandering in the desert, Lord, so too it is so tempting for us to go back to the button factory. It is so tempting to write the rules. But Lord, please, help us not only to seek out what is... <laughs> what is God-honoring within our, our own way of life that fits with the heart of Your commands. But, oh God, help us to truly walk alongside one another in that wisdom as well. To not just condemn, not just blame, not just admire even someone who looks like they're obeying the law but rather help us to walk in wisdom and in freedom clothed with Christ. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.